Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Life on Side B, where we have discussions with other LGBT and same-sex attracted Christians on the beauty, joys, and challenges of living according to the traditional sexual ethic. Um, this is Life on Side B, a ministry of Posture Shift, and Grant Henry and I are talking with Mr. Greg Coles, the delight Hello. of our yes. lives himself welcome back on the podcast oh hey thanks thanks for having me yes this is the second time we are all i'm doing this from my car on vacation so that you know we're we're just we are we're doing this lot through life but we are here to talk about your book um Oh my gosh, Greg Holes, I can't believe I'm looking at your wonderful face and get to hear your voice and uh, just chat with you and just get all the wisdom we can from you because you are such a wise man. So uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, it's an honor. I'll, I'll try to not say too many ridiculous things. See if I can live up to some some small modicum of wisdom this evening. <laughs> no. I think I wisdom and ridiculous things are not necessarily okay. mutually exclusive. So he's already used the word modicum. So it's like, okay, we're already like, yeah. we're already elevated. So yes. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I 100%. have a friend, he's a side B guy. And he was one day we were talking and he was like trying to decide if he should post a picture of his on Instagram or not. And his standard of measurement for like, just wellness and being and he's like, Gregory Coles would not approve of this photo, so I'm not going to post it. <laughs> so you have become like Whoa. the mark of like. <laughs> wow, that is a that is a burden of responsibility that I'm yes. not sure I'm ready oh, yeah. to bear. He's always like, would Greg Coles do this or say that or treat somebody this way? And usually the answer is no. So you're like the voice in his head that stops him from doing like things he shouldn't be doing. With a little so. angel on his shoulder. Yeah. Wow. I feel like the question, would Greg Coles tweet this? The answer is usually no, just because it's like, well, Greg Coles sucks at Twitter, so probably not. <laughs> you could have just stopped with, would Greg Coles tweet? It's like, <laughs> probably not. Yes. You know who can help you with Twitter? Grant Hartley. He has become like a low-key celeb over here on Twitter lately. Every time he posts, I'm just like, oh gosh, it's taken off. I need to, you know, I should get like some sort of seminar or something. You invite people. <laughs> bring yes. people on oh, teach God. them you know teach them the that's tweets. what i'll see where i can fit you in the schedule at revoice <laughs> can you imagine i call nate i'm like so grant's gonna do a something <laughs> no we need a we need a panel and greg can be the other the other like the balancing force like oh, for sure. how to tweet you know with wisdom and pizzazz that's it. That's it. <laughs> wisdom and pizzazz. Is that the wisdom two of us? Do I get to be wisdom and your pizzazz? <laughs> yes. Sure. For a minute, though, you said possessed. I was like, yes, Grant is possessed. So that worked. <laughs> possessed. Uh -uh. <laughs> oh, into gosh. gosh. So let's jump right into it. So Gregory Coles wrote a book, yes. No Longer Strangers, Finding Belonging in a World of Alienation. And before we jump into this book, his second book, he wrote a book that I read that wrecked my entire life. Mm. Um, single gay Christian. I've talked about this probably anywhere his name comes up. I've probably told this story multiple times. But I'm sitting at a Chick-fil-A and I'm reading. He ends the book by writing a letter to his 12-year-old self. 
and mm-hmm. one of the lines in there, I probably should have this tattooed on my body at this point in time. But it says, following Jesus will cost you everything. He's worth so much more. Oh, I was weeping at Chick-fil-A all night. I just ordered Chick-fil-A. Actually, my Uber just dropped off Chick-fil-A. But I was weeping <laughs> at Chick-fil-A. And, like, this lady comes up. She's like, are you okay? I was like, no. I was like, one of the sweet ladies that works. I was like, no, I'm not okay. I'm following Jesus, and it hurts. <laughs> like, I end up texting my boss because on my lunch break. And I was like, yeah, I'm not coming back to the office. And I had to come home, and I had to nap because, like, his first book was just so rich and so good and just sat with me. And I just yeah. had to nap mm. the emotions off. So Absolutely. that was my introduction to Gregory Coles. So I think, I think too, that like inside B-Land, like everyone has their, the book that was, that had that place for them. Mm-hmm. Like that started their mm-hmm. journey that was so formative for them. And I've heard so many people say that about your first book. Like, oh, oh yeah. that was mm-hmm. the book that really crystallized mm-hmm. things for me. That was so helpful. It helped me mm-hmm. understand myself. So, yeah, I, yeah. I really yes. appreciated that first book. So, thank yeah. you. In the, Guys, in the words of Grant Hartley, you are a queer treasure. So, and you are. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that the one, no. the other great thing that, like, Single Gay Christian did was it gave, like, I mean, obviously you just, like, I, I can't see. I'm not like you. I don't have many words, but you just exude joy, like in so yeah. many ways. Yeah. And I think that so many books, as and they're important books, but they've always talked about the suffering ways of being mm-hmm. side mm-hmm. B and a gay Christian. And you just brought your joy into the conversation, which I think is something so big, like especially related to our last like theme of last year of thriving instead of surviving and just looking in that way of just exuding joy like yes it's hard yes it's a struggle life is a struggle but here's the way that joy and beauty can be in all of it and so yeah. i loved it yeah and, and then a dang good writer yes like, i mean phenomenal and then you're joyful in person like look at you now when we all met it's like you were such a joyful person you know what him and steve i bet him and steve would be good absolutely. friends because they're both such joyful people we just recently that would be a fascinating conversation and yeah greg yeah y'all should chat so y'all are just joyful oh good steve if you're listening let's be friends (laughs) yes Uh, oh my god absolutely well yeah i mean sorry no go ahead go ahead henry i I was gonna ask uh greg to kind of just tell us what the journey as you were kind of finishing the first book and the promotion of all that and the press tour, if you will, of the Christian world and whatnot. And then the second book, um, which is a topic that obviously all Christians can relate, all people can relate to. Like we were made for belonging and to be in relationship with others. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's something our culture has highlighted is how much people feel like they don't belong. People are struggling to find a sense mm-hmm. of community and particularly even within the church and single people as well. Um, and married people. I know tons of married people who would say they're lonely or whatnot, so that's not only a singleness or celibacy-related topic. Yeah. But what was the driving reason behind this book as you were finishing the first one and kind of the promotion for that and whatnot? Yeah. I mean, I think when I finished the first one, well, when the first one came out, I, yeah. press tour gives a certain kind of glamour <laughs> to the idea of how these things go down. The reality is like the six months or so before that book's coming mm-hmm. out and the six months or so after that book's coming out were probably like the hardest year of my life. Yeah. Um, just cause like it was so much, 
Uh, it was it was so much angst and so many like relationships that were suddenly tricky for the first time and uh, for the uninitiated I should also explain that like when my first book came out that was also my coming out to the world yeah um, like I came out on Ooh. Facebook by taking the pre-order link to my book on Amazon posting it and Dramatic. being like dear friends it. I'm delighted to announce that I have a book coming out also here are a few other things that you should know um, <laughs> Like Grant, that was love for the drama of that, really? don't you? <laughs> Look, Grant is living for it. Yeah, you didn't know this, Grant. I thought. I mean, I thought it was just sort of well known, and you you were like, "Oh, I finally wrote a book about it." But no, this was like, no, this, this was, was like, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so I started I started coming out to people with intention in like March of 2015 is when I came out to the pastor of my church, which is a story that I tell in my first book. Um, that was March of 2015. Um, the uh, May of 2015, I came out to my parents. The summer of 2015, I started writing the thing that accidentally turned into Single Gay Christian. Um, we signed the contract July 2016. The book came out in 2017. Um, so it was like a two-year turnaround from like, I will die and no one will realize that I'm gay to like, never mind, on second thought, let's just have this conversation with the world. Wow, the Holy uh, Spirit was, really It's speedy moves. work. Oh, God. The Holy Spirit moves <laughs> Grant's quick. face, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I love Grant's face so, so much right now. Let me tell you, yeah, the Holy Spirit moves quick and uh, sometimes, sometimes the fire leaves a little, a little wreckage, a little ash in its wake. Um, in in beautiful and good and wonderful ways, and I have I have no regrets. But it was a rough year. Okay. Yeah, the devil works hard. Greg Holes works Wait, did, harder, y'all. Okay? So did you write? Did you like? Did the the beginning of this book, the second book, come out of the wreckage? Was it was it a phoenix phoenix out of the ashes sort of situation? Like, did we love that? Tell us more about that. In, in some ways, yes. Uh, I think certainly there are, there are chapters of the new book where I'm very much kind of wrestling with how to process some of what felt like the wreckage of life after my first book. Uh, you know, chapters where I'm talking about things like, what do you do when people leave your church because you're gay? Uh, or what do you do when suddenly you can Google your name and find, like, radio shows and uh. YouTube videos dedicated to demonstrating what a heretic you are? Like, how does one go on with life when, like, these things that, you know, to pre-25-year-old Greg were, like, absolutely inconceivable? Um, and then all of a sudden, it's not like I was a celebrity. It's just like I was vaguely infamous enough to, like, get a whole bunch of people really up in an up in uh up in uh, mm, uh i i can't think of a non uh a non-profanity laced way of saying it so i'm just not gonna say it people uh, were displeased here. they were peeved um, yeah. they were ticked off that's correct in a tizzy um, <laughs> <laughs> so they were so, grieved beyond words yeah, they, they were, were in fact grieved. uh Burwell Stark lives forever with us. <laughs> Name drop him, okay. <laughs> Guys, if, if you don't know that meme. I won't check him like that, but okay. <laughs> I, think, I think the history of the meme is important. Anyway, so, so, so there was certainly some wreckage involved, but I think it was also that as I started having conversations with people about my book, a question that felt like it came up again and again 
was the question of what life was supposed to look like in the daily living out. Like, okay, so yeah. you're gay, you're celibate, like what happens next? That sounds really lonely. It sounds potentially kind of depressing. It sounds like you don't really fit anywhere. And, you know, what what happens next? How does one sort of go on and live a life that is hopeful and fruitful and beautiful? Yeah. Mm. Uh, and I felt like, People would ask me that question about my own life. They would ask me that question about their lives. Like, what should I do, Coles, to have a hopeful and beautiful and fruitful life? And I would be like, I have no idea. I was not planning to come out and write this book. I'll get back to you. So, <laughs> so I thought I should maybe sit down and make an attempt at articulating what seemed to me like a sort of a Jesus-infused vision for how we might find a sense of of belonging in the world yeah. even as people who might be looked at from the outside and have other people say about us ah these seem like the people who really don't fit ah these seem like the people who are doomed to sort of wander the earth forever vagrant yeah it seemed to me that jesus is the kind of person who casts a vision for precisely those people and are like you're the ones i'm after you know like you are the people who i came to give a sense of belonging to you're the people whose identity can truly be rooted in me because it literally can't be attached to any other any other thing um because nobody else wants you but i do um and so I think, I think there's, there's an invitation for those of us who feel most sort of on the outskirts of traditional avenues of belonging in the world that can be for us really the best way to find our sense of belonging in Jesus. Ooh. Greg Coles is preaching tonight. Okay, you better articulate, honey. Okay. Oh, my gosh. Oh, gosh. I mean, honestly, Greg, like, I, I, first of all, I think that this book fits so perfectly like in our theme this season of identity and inclusion mm -hmm. just mm -hmm. and so much of understanding yourselves so much of understanding our place in the church and one thing i love about how you approach the book is like you talk about being gay but it's about your general experience even as like a third culture kid like mm -hmm. of growing up in another culture coming up back to the united states even where you are a u.s citizen you're white you technically are the majority, yet you don't feel like the majority in many ways. And yet like these different kind of aspects of belonging. And I, I think you did it so beautifully because there's so many fallout, I'm sure from your second book, your first book about this whole thing of making gay your identity. And this is all you're focusing on. And yet in your book, you do so beautifully. Like you mentioned being gay, you talk about it, but there's so much more to your experience that you even relate in that that's I, I think even goes beyond just the side b or gay experience into the general experience of humanity of like not belonging mm. and i um, love that and yeah in that first book too or in the second one i'm here in magnets and you said there's something remark remarkably awful and wonderful by being accused of not really loving jesus and then responding simply by continuing to love Jesus anyway. I'm like, okay, that's an asshole. Because, yeah, I don't know if I would have responded like you did. Uh-uh. Yeah. You are a better person than I am. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, oh. Greg. Go ahead. Go ahead, Grant. As you, so this, this is a question um, that, like, I would love to hear more about the thought process of writing the book. And also, selfishly, I want advice as a writer. Um, but 
like, was the process, did you have like a vision, a fully formed vision that you were just like trying to get out on paper with this book? Or was this, is that a complete fantasy that never happens to people? And what actually happened was like, you had questions that you just sort of worked through and this is the results. Where on that spectrum was this book? Like how, how was it birthed? (laughs) <laughs> is that a weird thing to say <laughs> not at all i i feel like i like comparing my books to children and i recognize people who have have like birthed children and have children will probably you know have some objections to the comparison yeah. but for me i'm like i don't know i think writing books is about as close to child having as i plan to get yes. uh, so I, I appreciate I appreciate the similarity because I resonate with like the gestational period yeah. and you know all, tell all us, that. Tell us about your pregnancy <laughs> with your second child. I, well, <laughs> oh dear. Um, so I think I, I will since we're framing this in terms of writing advice for your future book, Grant. Oh gosh, um, which I look yeah. forward to. Um, I I can't wait I can't wait for that book. Um, Grant and Henry. I'm just saying. Oh my gosh. I would read them both. I actually have mine here. I saw it earlier and I'm just like, nope. But it's all printed up, ready to go, but nobody's seen it. So (laughs) there's still time, Henry. You've got my email address. (laughs) Anyway. Continue. Uh, so okay, so so thinking thinking broadly about writing, I, I'm aware of some writers who will say something like, "I had this fully formed idea. I just had to get it on the paper," and then they get it on paper, and it's somehow exactly what they thought it was going to be, and they're like, "Great, we're going to publish this thing." And I don't want to hold anything against those writers, sure. but that is so completely foreign to my yeah. experience of writing. I I really appreciate uh, those writers, the liars. <laughs> But, (laughs) but continue. (laughs) For me, the, the book writing process has often been a matter of having some broad theme that I sense will drive me, uh, and maybe some sense of, uh, thesis or a sense of like knowing that there are certain things that I will land on somehow. Yeah. But usually the, the building blocks with which I am working are just ideas and questions and uncertainties. Um, so if I think about any individual chapter of uh, No Longer Strangers, in some cases I knew like, hey, there's this interesting story that I have. I could tell that story, but I would not know. I, w- I wouldn't have a hot clue about like, what is the point of this story? What is it? How can I tell it in a way that's redemptive? Um, a, a lot of the stories in there, I, I started out thinking like, well, here's a story that I've never figured out how to process in my life. Maybe if I write it down, I'll be able to make some kind of sense of it. Oh, yeah. um, and mm-hmm. so it was, it was often in the writing. Um, I, I suppose I think especially of uh, uh, chapter, chapter 13, um, which I should be able to remember the names of these chapters. All I can think of is the number offhand. Um, oh it's, wait! It, I have it right here. It chapter ghosts of 13. friendship past. Ghosts yeah. of friendship past. Yeah. Um, this is this is the this is the chapter that is about one of. I mean, I, I tell a specific story. There were other relationships that I had kind of fall apart in the wake of the publication of my first book. Um, but this is a chapter where I I describe one of those relationships and. 
all of the wrestling that I did in relation to that. And when I started writing the chapter, I was like, I don't know if I have anything good to say about this. I think I mostly just have a lot of grief about Ooh. this to process. Um, and and I still have awkwardly this sense of love for the people with whom I have this really mm. difficult relationship now. Um, and I don't know how to hold my grief and my love in tension with one another. Uh, but maybe if I just tell the story and tell it truthfully, maybe I'll find a way in which the grief and the love can coexist. Mm. Uh, and so I think I think so much of the writing journey for me was questions like that, that I would approach this part of my life and say, I don't know what it means, but somehow I know that Jesus is good and it's hard and it's beautiful. And I think all of those things can be true at the same time, uh, which maybe is why if you if you look at the whole book collectively, you're like, I think the thesis is that. Jesus is beautiful and things are grievous and joyous at the same time. And that's the, that's the whole story. Yeah. I suppose if my life can be, can be distilled into a nice tidy thesis, that would be the thesis. And I'm just one of those lame writers who keeps trying to make the same point again and again. No, but we like that. We like it. Yeah. And we need clearly Jesus trying to make the same point to us again and again. So you're just working right alongside him. So, Mm. Yeah. I love that, Henry. Oh my gosh. So yeah, yeah, what you said in that chapter too, you said it never occurred to me that theological debate could feel so much like heartbreak. Mm. Um, can you like take apart that sentence for us a little bit more? Just because I was like, I really get that in the sense of, man, I love this person. This person loves me. And because of this one topic or even semantics in terms of language, linguistics and whatnot, it's like this point is really going to be the thing that breaks me and this person apart. Mm. So, yeah. Can you kind of talk us through that on your side? Yeah. Certainly for me, prior to my first books coming out, which again, keep in mind, first books coming out is also my coming out. So prior to me and the book coming out together, um, a lot of the issues that I had thought through were issues that I thought through in abstraction. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, this is this is a nice philosophical point. Oh, you know, here's here's how I land on this question. Here's how I would think about the people who think differently from me. Um, and I imagined in my mind, look, I understand this is what I believe and other people will not believe exactly the same thing. And I could, in abstraction, say like, yes, I will still want to remain in relationship with all of those people. Uh, and yet when the, when the rubber met the proverbial road and I was faced with the question of how do these people now regard me? Do they still want to be in relationship with me? Are there ways in which our differences in approach are differences that they perceive as being significant enough that they're a matter over which we need to break fellowship with one another? Mm. And, and certainly I, I, I don't want to suggest that it's... I don't want to suggest that I object to somebody else following their conscience uh, in, in trying to determine which theological issues matter, though I do grieve when people decide that their conscience causes them to break fellowship with me because I'm like, I don't know, I still love Jesus too over here. Um, but, uh, but the messiness of how that played out, in my head before I came out, it was all going to be so tidy. Um, or to the degree that it wasn't going to be tidy, like I was just going to watch people leave and bless them as they went out the door and be like, you know, like I didn't like you anyway. Um, Like it was all supposed to be so easy. Um, 
But uh, it was so much messier in the living uh, because my my love for people and the existence of theological difference were were not extricable from one another. They were all kind of wrapped up together. Um, and so I found that love kept inconveniently leaking at all the all the worst times. Uh, what was the most surprising part of that coming out journey for you or like the un- most unexpected that you did not expect to have to like, like, whoa, that caught me off guard. I didn't see that effing coming or see the way I'd be talking, Greg. See, you can't be having me out of nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting to hear Henry, you censor yourself, Henry. <laughs> no, it's because Greg is here. That's why I'm censoring myself. You know, I normally wouldn't have. Okay, Henry. I just want you to know that I, I welcome I welcome all the parts of you to this conversation. <laughs> Everything belongs. Yes. <laughs> uh, somebody should write a book by that title. I don't know if you if you know a guy who could maybe. No. That was the name of my talk from Revoice two years ago, so I don't know if I could make that a whole book. But uh, yes, I went to that talk. Yes, it was a good did. talk. Uh, oh gosh, Henry, okay, can anyway, you just so give us like question. three words? They don't even have to make sense. Three words that appear in the three sentence summary of your book that's written that we may never read. Oh uh, me? Oh, I'll give you the title. Um, it is. Uh, oh my gosh, I'm sitting here. Henry Wasanga Buto, met by grace, redeemed by love. Ooh. So, oh, Henry. So, yeah. So, I love that. So, oh my gosh, can we start a little writer's it. club? Let's just send each other manuscripts. Let's go. Let's <laughs> yes. do it. Maybe you'll actually get me to write something down. 100%. Okay, I'll, send, I'll send my NDA along with that too. So. <laughs> <laughs> Forever the HR person in me. <laughs> anyway. But yes, yes. Uh, to, to, get, to get to your question, Henry, about uh, surprises. Yeah. I think, you know, I was braced for a lot of difficult reception. And I was, I was ready to have kind of hard conversation all across the, the spectrum of theology, all across the spectrum of experience of sexuality. I was kind of like, I think I'm going to have a lot of non-friends. And so I was sort of ready for all of that. And so in some ways, uh, which is weird, right? I, I feel like people think I'm an optimist, but in this case, I was remarkably pessimistic. I was like, I will have like six friends after this. Uh, and so in a sense, I was refreshingly surprised that I had so much good interaction wow. with people, mm. um, which was great. Um, I will say, however, uh, that to the degree that I had less than good interaction with people, I was surprised by the degree to which my negative interactions were almost exclusively, not entirely exclusively, but almost exclusively with the sort of more conservative camp. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. I think I had expected, I was like, I feel like I am a fairly perfectly awkward balance between like what one might call conservative and what one might call progressive. And so I think I have equally earned everyone's ire. And so I was somewhat surprised then uh, when I was like, how disproportionately the people who objected to me were the people who were like, 
how dare you call yourself gay? Mm-hmm. How dare you be gay and not hoping for like redemption, you know, healing? Um, how how dare you be gay at all? You know, you crazy pedophile. Like all of the responses on that end of the spectrum, I was shocked by the degree to which those were disproportionately stronger um, than the people who were concerned with me on the other end. Wow. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's interesting because I wouldn't say I'd be shocked by that. That's exactly what I would expect. Yeah, one hundred percent. It's been my experience. But, so yeah. But mm-hmm. yeah, like I think. I think maybe a lot of us thought that we would experience more balanced um, opposition. Criticism. And mm-hmm. yeah, opposition. all of us have sort of realized, like, that's eh, sort of all coming yeah. from one direction at this particular yes. moment in history. But, mm-hmm. yeah, that's so interesting. What's been the craziest thing somebody said to you? Like, just out of pocket, just wild, just oh, like, yes. we need I just this slapped story. your ass for you yes. saying something like yes. this to me. Yeah. Uh, oh. Mm. Greg Cole's going, what can I share okay. on the record? Yeah. That, yeah. that, was, ex- that was exactly my thought process. Um <laughs> Open up I, the DM, I, honey. Open them up. I, I know. You I, how about this? I, I, I will. I will attempt. I will attempt to tell this story with as little as little detail as possible. For which I apologize because I realize that detail is the heart of the story. Like it is the little succulent details yeah. of the story that bring the you thing to life. Hold off the details. details you want. Hold off the <laughs> okay. details until the bonus episode. No, just kidding. Just kidding. Okay. <laughs> oh, there we go. <laughs> Grant, there we go. For the subscribers, you can yeah. yeah, you can find the whole juicy story. No, I remember there was there was a particular person to whom I uh, came out at a particular point, um, and yeah, aren't you loving these details <laughs> yeah. so far? This is this is great. This is really spicy <laughs> many, stuff, Coles. Tell many, this story again and again. How many more times are you going to say particular? <laughs> uh, I, let's just say I came out to them on a particular day of the week, um, and their response was that they would have preferred that I had chosen a different day of the week. Uh, <laughs> I did not have that on my bingo card of response. Thank you. Thank you. This is why I also was shocked. Because I was like, there. I mean, our conversation was also difficult in other ways. You'll be shocked to know. But that was the objection that w- that most flummoxed me. Like, of all the things that I thought this person might have to say that would be difficult... I was not expecting that their that their first objection would be that I had chosen the wrong day of the week on which to I come mean, out to them. Why? Uh, <laughs> uh, were I to articulate their logic, I fear that I would provide too many of the particularities that would cause me to feel uncomfortable sharing this story way, publicly. Sis. I know why. Somebody done for said. everyone who's listening. Uh, which day of the week is best to come out on? Okay. Give us your thoughts. <laughs> that's like. You know, like when somebody makes something about you about themselves, I, that's to a whole new level. <laughs> it's like, what is that? I kind of want to hear from our listeners what best, what is the best day of the week oh, to come out? Okay. Oh my yes. god! This is just when we enough. stop recording. So well when we stop recording, can you tell us the reasoning? When we stop recording, I have got to know their logic. When we stop recording, I will. I will tell you both the day of the week and the reasoning. Okay. <gasps> okay. Love. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah. For, for those of you who are listening, though, I do apologize. And I would genuinely love to know what you think the best day of the week to come out would be. <laughs> and um, why. 
And why? Yeah, because I think there's logics to be made in a variety of reasons. You know, don't come out on Friday, you're ruining the weekend. Don't come out on Saturday, you're ruining my Sunday. You know, don't come out on Sunday, that's setting a terrible note for the week. Monday, I'm too busy with work. Wednesday, I was enjoying hump day. You know, like, I think one can find potential <laughs> objections all through the week. So, I actually have an argument. I have an idea. Oh, I think oh, that Sunday night is the best time to come out. Okay. Because... Everyone already hates Monday, so you can't make it worse. Okay. You can't, like, destroy their Monday I mean, worse than it already is. Sunday is the day our Lord came out of the tomb, and I think that Amen. that is there you go. the day. But, no. We, so, we Sunday night, <laughs> listeners, Sunday night, I believe, is the best time to um, come out. I would say... I don't know. Oh, <laughs> Lord, this is so funny. I can't. Oh so, wait. So, so Greg, you're, from what I'm understanding, this second book, like, as you were sort of processing through some of the aftermath of your first book, like, your first book was, like, like Proverbs, and your second book was, like, Ecclesiastes? Is, it, is, this, what, is this what I'm feeling? Is this right? I love this. I, I think... You know, that's a very interesting analogy, and no one else has yet compared my two books to Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. <laughs> well, does, that mean, with the does that theme. mean book three is going to be Song of Songs? <laughs> oh. Oh. oh, I'm actually, I would totally write a Song of Songs. I'm, I'm the down. The celibate I'm Song about, of Songs? I am, I am a firm believer that the degree to which those of us who are gay and celibate can find fittingly Song of Solomon-ish language with which to describe our romance with Jesus, what? we will be the better for yes. it. Yes. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so, so, yes. But, but no, well, okay, so I, 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 suppose, I suppose I would say this, uh, that in some ways, uh, single gay Christian was sort of concerned with, like, trying to, like, carve out some sense of space for myself in the world beginning the book feeling like there is absolutely no space for me to exist and yet i do and that seems bad um and so sort of trying to like carve out a sufficient amount of space to be like i think i'm allowed to exist and love jesus um and and in no longer strangers i think i said to myself okay so we've got this little chunk of space but really all i have talked about in relation to that chunk of space is what it means to be gay and yet love Jesus in that chunk of space. And I felt like, kind of related to what Josh was saying earlier, I felt like there's a whole ton of my life within this space that really doesn't just neatly fit into the like, I have proved that I am allowed to be gay and still love Jesus, the end. Like, that that's sort of all I do in Single Gay Christian, but I was like, I think there's more things I've got to work out yeah. before this is a livable yeah. thing. Um, yeah. And so for me, so much of the question of livability had to be negotiated along the lines of like how do the the day-to-day -day moments the punctiliar mm. things of life how do mm. those play out in the context of being somebody who is also among other things gay and white and an american who didn't actually grow up in america and like awkwardly weirdly like not fitting into a whole bunch of categories like what does it look like to live the, the momentary things of life in this carved out space. Because I think if all we ever do for ourselves as side B people is like carve out space for ourselves and make theological arguments for our right to exist, 
there's a whole lot that we miss oh. in relation to what it looks like mm. to live a beautiful life with Jesus along the way. Say it back. Say it one more time for the people in the back. If yeah. that's all we do, we're going to be doing more than that. Exactly. We're not sitting here just say it one more time. I want y'all to hear what this man just said. Like, we're not yes. supposed to be over here just sitting. Let me justify my existence and just have this little corner. Now, nah, like, we actually have to live our lives and figure out what that looks like. Mm. So come mm. on, Pastor. That was a whole mm. word. Yes. That was a whole word. Which yeah. leads to how you cited that. Um, you said, I wonder what it means to belong in places I can't stay in forever. And so, because mm. I kind of got that as one of the central themes, like, as you're going into this book setting it up it's like all right what are we gonna be talking about how do we belong in places we can't live forever so where are you at now that you've written the book you've wondered and have you figured it out yeah you've you've come to a conclusion you're here to share the yeah. wisdom i'm i'm pleased to say i'm pleased to say that this book is full of very tidy conclusions and everyone who reads it will find that all their tricky questions are answered oh oh, and, oh good so anyone who is wrestling with belonging can just read the book and wrestle no further no that. no that is uh what what a what a load of crap um, <laughs> Here's the reality. Um, so, so I so I wrote this book, and 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 my sense as I was writing was like, okay, so so we're in these places, and we know that we can't stay forever, um, and yet as we recognize and embrace that fact, like Jesus provides for us the things that we need. You know, like we don't pursue society's most most obvious pathways to intimacy, to belonging, and yet Jesus mm. provides the belonging and the intimacy that we need. And I was like, I think that's true. I think that has been true in my life. Uh, and so I told some stories about having experienced that being true. But then here's what happened, okay? So I finished writing the book. We send it to the publisher. The book comes out in the same month that the book comes out with all these stories of like, well, here's how Jesus has demonstrated these promises to be true in my life right now. The same month, I uh, make, a, make a decision to accept a job that involves moving to Boise, Idaho. Um, and so, so I have this beautiful community in State College, Pennsylvania, and I've told stories in my book about like all the beautiful things the Lord has provided to me in this great college, uh, this great uh, town in Pennsylvania. And then all of a sudden, right as it's coming out, and I should be like, aha, what a great thing to celebrate all the gifts the Lord gives. I'm simultaneously beginning to grieve the loss of all these things. Uh, and, and so now, I mean, this is, this is very much a live situation for me. I mean, this is, I think, day nine or possibly day 10 for me in Boise. Um, uh, this is, this is my new, my new office, guys. Oh, Check wow. it out. I kind of thought this was like a trip. Not like a, I like a, a move a and move. Move like a no. Move. This is like a, a like, move oh, and move. Nine yeah. days. That's a good amount of time. Like it, it would be good to be back home after that. No, this is this is home now. Okay, this is home. Yeah, and and I mean, uh, do, uh, Boise so far has been lovely. Um, but if I were to level any complaints, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is not already full of people that I know and love. Like, how dare it not already be full of people that I know and love? Sure. Yeah. Um, and and there's a sense in which I I had lived a life 
where I could look back on the past and say, like, ah, yes, I have seen the Lord keep his promises to me in the past, and now here I am reaping the benefits of having experienced the Lord's faithfulness. Um, but then suddenly I was moving to Idaho, and I was like, I feel freshly unsure about whether or not God will actually be faithful to provide the kind of community, the kind of belonging, the kind of relational intimacy that I need in order to be a whole and healthy human being. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like even though... Even though God's grace should have all the predictability of a rom-com, I still feel like I watch it as if it's a thriller. You know, like I'm constantly on the edge of my seat being like, I don't know if the Lord's going to work it out this time or not. I am unsure. Um, oh, and, and I feel like I'm like in the midst of that question right now. Like, I just don't know. Um, I think God is still telling the truth, but I'll get back to you. Oh, God, that is perfect. Wow. <laughs> okay. Watching it as a thriller I'm, on the edge of my seat. If that's not yeah. my walk, okay. <laughs> you know, like Greg, you've talked a lot about just you know the fallout of people with your books, like with with the coming out of your book. Now with the move, like obviously the difficulty of belonging, not just in being gay, but like just so many aspects of your experience. This is my question, and it may sound blunt, so forgive me. If, oh, I'm so ready. Okay. As a person who's also experienced many of those similar kind of things, how do you still find joy in the midst of that? Because continuously, I never see you without a smile on your face. How it's much of that is crap? <laughs> yeah. Are you lying to us? <laughs> I'm like, I know this man. Ooh, I was about to see. I'm so close. I didn't say yes. Um, I was uh -huh. like, I know this man. I was about to. I can't say this because I, yeah, I never mind. Okay. But, uh, well, okay. I'm just saying, and I'm just saying, like, how, how do you process that? Because, like, for instance, I'll give you an example. Like, I had a falling out with a relationship, like, recently about, like, gay stuff. Um, and, Ooh, like, yes. yes. And I'll be honest, over the past few weeks, I have not always been a nice person to be around. People have written me and I have had not good responses. And to those people listening, I'm so sorry. But like, but um, like, how do you process that? How do you deal with that? Like all of those kinds of things. Yeah, I, I would say I would say a few things. Uh, number one, I think I'm, I'm a firm believer in the value of, like, really deeply grieving things. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, so, well, speaking to, speaking to my most recent move, for instance, you know, like, I, I took, like, six and a half days to drive uh, across the contiguous United States. It was quite a little road trip. Um, and it was beautiful, and I stopped and saw a lot of people on the way, but it was also, like, pretty angsty at times. Um, like I, I sat in my car for long periods of silence, um, uh, and just like, you know, like no radio, no CDs, my car, by the way, I don't have, uh, at the moment, I still haven't like set up my phone to be able to like play music through my phone. So my car has a six CD player, um, yeah. b uh, because yeah, it's, it's like a retirement vehicle. It is a beige mercury. Um, so it, but it's got the six CD player. So sometimes I play one of my six CDs. Sometimes I play the radio, but I just for long stretches, like through most of Nebraska, you know, I was just like sitting in like complete and utter silence, oh, no. just like chatting with Jesus and being like, I don't know how I feel about this. Um, and I think, 
it seems to me that we can only be truly joyful like we can only engage with the things in the world that are truly beautiful we can only recognize all the glorious things that god is doing in our lives and find space in our hearts to celebrate those things um, if we're also able to really lean deeply into the things that are worth grieving over mm. um, and the things that demand our sorrow in order for us to be intellectually and emotionally honest human yeah. beings demand our sorrow Ooh, i love that Oh, thanks. Hey, if you want to put that in a book, Henry, go ahead and do that. <laughs> um, uh, so, so yeah. So, so I think I think grief is important, um, and I have tried uh, as as someone who somewhat accidentally uh, became part of some public conversation. Um, I've generally found it best to try to do my grieving privately, um, so that. I don't bleed all over people publicly mm. um, because I've found uh, that to the degree I go places and converse with people about really unprocessed things, um, it's usually not constructive. Uh, maybe yeah. when, it, when it comes to the question of like what would or would not Greg Cole's tweet, um, maybe the yeah. reason I tweet so little is because I only believe in <laughs> tweeting things that I have processed sufficiently to feel like I have some kind of settledness <laughs> in my spirit about I was them. just about to say, we have a different Twitter philosophy. <laughs> okay, very different, because one is not like the other. Okay. I was like, I I, love, I even love, like, the four Twitter styles that are represented here yeah. in all of a complete different scale, yeah. from just the rawness of Grant Hartley to the very controlledness of Greg Cole's. Henry, you are someone somewhere in the middle between those two. Yes. And I'm just like, I have no self-control, so I deleted yeah. mine. <laughs> Greg, I invite you to tweet your unprocessed things, all lowercase, for everyone to see on Twitter. <laughs> Thank you, Grant, for that kind invitation, which I, I don't think that I will accept, but I really appreciate the offer. I receive it with, with genuine love and appreciation. Yeah. Um, and no, I, I, don't, I, don't mean to, I don't mean to slam anybody else's Twitter style here. You, you, you and Jesus work out within your own conscience what seems constructive to yeah, you. we'll talk um, after this. <laughs> no, I think, I think that... The, the question, the question for me has always been, um, are there things, uh, are there things that it is, it is best for me to work out with Jesus before I just kind of try to like peel open my rib cage for the world? Mm, yeah. um, uh, and, and I think, uh, I don't think that being judicious in that question it needs to mean that we are insincere mm. in the way we interact with others. Um, but I think sometimes we confuse sincerity with like a complete lack of filtering. Um, so <laughs> you're, you're making faces as if I'm calling you out, which is not at all my intention. No, I, no, um, no. I'm just like, oof. I'm going to have to reflect on that. <laughs> okay. It's like, you know what? He invites you to sit and reflect on that. Okay. Yes. I'll do the same. Okay. I, Yes, I will speak for no one except myself that sometimes I have felt the temptation to pursue sincerity in a way that basically just means, yeah, anything that runs through my brain, let's just, uh, mm. just stick it out there. Um, uh, but I think uh, I, am, I am at my most useful to others, I think, when the things 
that come out of my mouth are things that I have first managed to converse with Jesus about so that what comes out of my mouth is reflective not only of the activities in my brain, but of the activities in my brain as they are shaped and changed and remade more into the likeness of Jesus, mm, hopefully. Okay. Um, I don't think I always hit that balance perfectly, um, but it is yeah. what I aspire to by the grace you know, of God. That's really good. Why? That's why I always say you want the fourth version of what Henry Buto wants to say. You don't want the first three. You want the fourth version. Because so, I've been filtered with the Lord, my therapist, a friend, some prayer. Okay. Yes. The first three, you're going to cuss out. So for sure. So. Yes. Oh, my gosh. That's good. Well, um... Let's well, see. I know I have another. I don't know, Grant. You I something? think that first of all, I need to comment on three. I I need you to comment on three different statements that you have in your book, oh, starting yeah, with the three. first sentence of your book. Uh, okay, so we're gonna start here. Hold, please. Um, Buffering. I get nostalgic when I think about my life as a fetus. Oh my tell God, us, that sent me. Tell us that. more. <laughs> Tell us about your life as a fetus. That sent me. My other one was, sorry, my other one was, there comes a time in every young man's life oh, when he grows guy. out of being a handsome little guy and blossoms into a prospective domestic terrorist. Yes, that <laughs> line too. Oh my God. You and I highlighted the same line. That one for sure. Comment. Comment about your domestic terrorist life. Because Perspective also domestic terrorism. Like, and so I was just like, what? Sometimes, yeah. well, sometimes, Greg, you write something like it's so compact and so clever and so zany. I just think, like, it reminds me of what I read from from Anne Lamott. I mean, you're, you're like, you're your own person, you're your own writer. Um, so, but, but yeah, just something. Uh, zany. I received that comparison with the utmost joy. I think Anne Lamott is brilliant. So uh, funny. And you are too. You're so funny. You're so funny. Why, thank you. Um, okay, okay. So, so in brief, uh, my life as a fetus, I'll just say, here's what's great about being a fetus. Like, you don't have to do anything. You know, like, nobody is waiting for you to answer their emails. Like, you don't have to prepare dinner in order to be fed. You know, like there are not there are not text messages waiting for you. Nobody's telling you that if you had decided to call yourself same sex attracted instead of gay, your whole life would have been better and Jesus would finally love you. Like there is just none of that crap going on in the fetus. Um, and uh, uh, and I think <clears throat> I <clears throat> yeah uh, I see see I get you don't excited. have to serve for three months for an apartment hoping someone will accept you. I'm not talking from personal experience or anything. <laughs> uh -huh, but like uh -huh. yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry. Um, yeah, no, I think, I think there's a there's a reason. I think that when when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, right? Nicodemus uh, in John chapter three, being this guy who's like, I figured out how to do the spirituality thing. You just follow all the right rules and you try really freaking hard, and that's how you get in good with God. And the image that Jesus chooses to use for Nicodemus is like, here's what you got to do, Nicodemus. Like, get back into the womb. Um, like crawl back in there and reattach the umbilical cord and then be born again and be as helpless as somebody who has just come out. 
of the womb. Oh. Uh, and, you know, uh, maybe there's a... Anyway, uh, we'll, we'll oh, come back to that right. double entendre yes. later. Um, but but the, the helplessness and the recognition that our sense of value in the world is not in any way attached to the things that we can produce in a, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. for others. It's not in any way attached to the things that we can accomplish or the ways in which we can make someone else happy. Um, it's it's not rooted so in our sense of achievement. Um, it's simply rooted in the fact that we are loved precisely as we are. Um, right, which is, of course, the whole beauty of the gospel, which is the thing that is so impossible for Nicodemus to wrap his head around. Um, and I think it's the... It's one of the many things that I find so difficult to wrap my own heart around is the idea that I can possibly have value without having done anything to earn it. Um, Mm. And this is why I get nostalgic when I think about my life as a fetus. Okay. Um, See how we unpack that for y'all? Okay. See how four (laughs) words turn into a whole sermon? Okay. Yeah. Come on now. Now, now, when it comes to my my uh, my my stint as a domestic terrorist, this I don't think I have anything of of equivalent edification to say about. Really, really, what I mean is that, like, when I was little, I and I would be going through security lines, which, again, as Henry pointed out, just way more fun before nine eleven, right? Like before nine eleven, you went to the airport and everybody was like, "Oh, you cute little thing, just go right on through," you know. And then after nine eleven, it was all of a sudden like, "You have nail clippers." We're going to need to confiscate those, sir. You know, so, um, and and I should note, like, the experience I had as a person going through security after 9-11 was much, much different and much, much better than the experience that many of my friends of color, especially people who are of Arab descent or appear to be of Arab descent, oh my goodness. Um, so I'm certainly not trying to equate my experiences with somebody else's, um, but it did get more complicated after 9-11. Um, but for me, it also got more complicated when I got older. Older, um, and when my new passport photo, they were like, take off your glasses, don't smile. Um, but for some reason, they let me wear my hoodie. And so I'm like this scowling, like hoodie wearing man with my eyes sort of like weirdly glazed over because I can't see terribly well because I'm not wearing my glasses. Um, and yeah. that's my passport photo. So I do kind of look like an axe murderer. Um, and so I understand, I understand that Please I put was a viewed at the least... beginning of this episode. Put a disclaimer about terrorism and axe murder. So. <laughs> You're not wrong, Henry. Don't put You're not tags. Wrong. Don't put those tags on this. Okay. <laughs> okay. All four of us get flagged. Okay. The FBI just shows up at our houses. Okay? The episode is called "Greg Calls on Domestic Terrorism." <laughs> I can't be associated with that. Okay. I'm an immigrant. I'm still trying to work on my visa and my green card stuff. Don't be playing with me. <laughs> I will not. I will not, Henry. I promise. Yeah. Well, oh, I mean, honestly, Greg, this is a really great book, and I have loved and enjoyed reading it, as well as explaining to my nieces and nephews, why is the O not there? It's it actually there. Some... Oh, it is. I, I I called out my nieces and nephews today when I was reading on the boat, and they're like, why isn't the O in the letters? And I'm like, that's how my nieces and nephews talk. And then I was like, where do you think it is? And then we had to have a whole entire discussion. It's all great. Love it. I really enjoyed this book. 
I have one more question. Uh, well, oh, go I have ahead. Several, but I can have like two or three. Oh my gosh. So, but um, in limbs, which was a very interesting title for this chapter. So, but um, if we ever only look for God's fingerprints in the places we expect to find them, we condemn ourselves to ignore some of his finest handiwork. And I was uh, refreshing myself on this today. And um, I just got to thinking through in my life where like, do I feel like God isn't showing up? But I'm like, Henry, is that because you're expecting to see God here when he didn't tell you that's where he was going to show up? So you're neglecting to look for his handiwork in other places. And I was like, oh, I kind of feel attacked by Greg Holes right now. So, yeah. Uh, tell me why you chose to attack me in such a public manner in print. And unpack, yeah, unpack. Explain that. yourself. <laughs> <laughs> well, Henry, it was it was very it was very personal. Yeah, <laughs> I I had your name in the first draft, and then I took it out, and I was like, we'll just make this more general, even though it's a personal attack against Henry. Yeah, I'm glad you're honest. I I think I think one thing that I that I have realized in my own life is that once I start to draw the boundaries of Here's how I would like to be in the world. Here are the latitude of things with which I am theologically comfortable. Here are the people whose company I would enjoy keeping. Once I've sort of drawn those boundaries for myself, I become remarkably attuned to looking at the ways that God is at work within that box. Mm -hmm. uh, and remarkably quick to dismiss anything that falls outside of that box for me in ways that can sometimes be really convicting. Uh, you know, uh, recently, uh, okay, so I, I did a lot of driving, as I said, uh, you know, a week and a half ago while I was driving across the country. Um, and there were a couple times I would be scrolling through the radio and I would hear something that, whether it was because it was like, oh, I'm familiar with that CCM band, we're not going to listen to that song any further. Or I would hear like one of those Bible-thumping preachers on the radio and be like, oh, good Lord, please preserve us from the Bible-thumping preachers on the radio. You know, there would be these things that I would be like, I'm out of here, you know, like, I'm off in a hot second. Um, and every once in a while, because I was chatting with Jesus during this time, you know, I was feeling angsty, and also Jesus was my only company in the car. Um, there were a couple times that I felt like God was like, okay, like, stay here for a hot second, Coles, like, just, just stop and, you know, like, stop and suffer through this CCM song, even though you hate this band, even though you believe that, like, their female vocalist always sings flat, and you feel like they're much too... Oh my gosh. <laughs> they're, they're... You can't name Joe people I, I will like not call anyone out by name. Um, like, like whatever, it is, whatever it is that is causing you to just be like, I'm out of here, you know, like, like hold on for a hot second, um, and maybe, maybe there are ways in which you will see the Spirit of God at work, even though you're reluctant to admit it. Um, I remember, uh, so so I've been listening uh, recently, just in the last couple days, I'm like so behind, um, but I've been listening recently to the Christianity Today podcast, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Uh, yes, uh, I was um, just finishing that today too. Oh my goodness. It is, it is, 
I mean, it's brilliantly done. Uh, yeah, um, and and so so thought provoking. But one of the things that gets me about that, like one of the things that I find so compelling and also troubling about it, mm -hmm. is that based on my understanding of Mars Hill, I just sort of want to say, like, look, the whole project was bunk, awful, everything about it terrible. Like, I can just tidally dismiss that as being outside of my box in which the Holy Spirit does work. That is how I would prefer to think about the Mars Hill project. Um, and yet to hear some of the stories that exist and say, like, there were people who were on really destructive paths in their lives and mm -hmm. they radically encountered Jesus in that space and their lives mm -hmm. are different because of it. Um, mm -hmm. there's, there's this very naturally judgmental part of me that wants to be like, those don't count. None of those experiences are really Jesus. And yet there's, there's something within me that can't deny, like, for whatever reason, you know, like the Lord works in, in remarkable circumstances, including the ones that I consider troublesome and perhaps not ideal. Um, mm. uh, and and, and I, I have picked, I have picked, I think, a more conservative example, if you will, like things that trouble me on the so-called conservative end of the spectrum. Um, uh, I, I, th I could equally have picked, I think, an example on what we might call the more progressive end of the spectrum. Um, and again, those, uh, those categories as a kind of spectrum are, I think, partial and perhaps unhelpful at times. Mm -hmm. um, but I think the reality exists that we're often better at recognizing the Spirit of God uh, in one direction of us, right? Like it's easier to see it to the left or it's easier to see it to the right, but sometimes it's really, really freaking hard to see it on the other side of the equation. Um, and I think for me, uh, to be perfectly frank, uh, when I look to the right, there's a certain point past which it is really, really hard for me to recognize that the Spirit of God is doing anything at all because I just see so many dangers yeah. and so many problems and the potential for so many people to be hurt. Um, and I think all of those things can be true and we can have all of these very serious concerns and yet we can recognize that somehow the Holy Spirit is just so allowed to burst all our categories that he still does things even in those spaces. Um, and I think that recognition has been humbling for me. Mm. Mm. Oh, as I'm sitting over here, I'm overcome because I was just going through 120 and 121 again, the ghost of friendship past. And I think this is a topic that is for sure not again unique to just side B people, but it is a human experience of friendship and love. And to love is, C.S. Lewis said, Love anything, and your heart will be wrong and possibly broken. And so, um, as you're talking about, oh my God, when you said you'd help yourself to dessert prepared by a woman I'd already said goodbye to, oh my gosh, I can't, I'm about to start crying again. But um, when you said, I don't want to stop caring about the heartbreakers and the people whose hearts have broken. I don't want to stop loving them or wish them out of existence. I just want to let go of the responsibility I used to feel to fix our relationship in this lifetime. I want to learn to say goodbye to let our former intimacy drift into memory without being afraid of the ghosts. Mm. Mm. And how, where would you say you are on that journey of learning to let go? And just, because even I look around this house, there's ghosts everywhere. Like there's pictures on my walls of people I don't mess with anymore that you can pay me to talk to right now. But like, I have wonderful memories of them. So I literally keep some of those pictures on the walls. I'm so glad a lot of people here don't listen to this podcast because I'd be shading the hell out of some people. <laughs> but, um, but no, um, where are you with that? Because I do think that the that pain is something that I see often in the side B world for either loss of friendships or relationships or things change or 
people no longer accept you for who you are, but ask for the same acceptance back. And so, um, anyways, but yeah, so where would you say, and what advice do you have for anybody who's maybe struggling with learning to let go and still engage those ghosts in ways that are not super painful or hard? Yeah. The thing that has been most helpful for me is to recognize that I believe that the story has a really beautiful ending. Mm. Um, that that I can I can think about the the heartbreakers and the people whose hearts I've broken, and I can think about them as people with whom I truly believe I will one day share eternity. Mm. Um, and somehow in that space, everything will be beautiful. Everything that has gone wrong will will be right again. Um, that as, as Julian of Norwich says, all shall be well and all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well. Um, and I don't necessarily feel that in the moment. Um, mm -hmm. I, I mean, I... The, the recognition that, that, that something beautiful is coming doesn't remove from us the pain of what uh -huh. is in the present. Um, mm. And I think that's so crucial that, that in our pursuit of joy or in our pursuit of inner peace, we don't try to paper over the, the, the things that are, again, worthy of our sorrow, right? Mm -hmm. um, uh, th those things can still be hard and it can still be physically painful to walk into a room with certain people. I will not deny that. Mm -hmm. um, I can think of some people who, if if that door opened and they walked in here, I would be doing some serious heart palpitations right now. Yeah. Um, and yet, I can still think of those people with a kind of fondness insofar as I'm convinced these people are beautiful expressions of the image of God and the things that have gone wrong between us will be made right. Mm. Um, and I think I that mm -hmm. I that that truth has just carried me through a, a lot of crap. Mm. Mm. Gosh, it's like you know. I mean, it's like obviously, and that's very easy to hear, and it's not yes. easy to do because we've all four probably have walked through similar seasons or situations that it's like, man, God will one day renew and restore this, but until that side and this side of eternity, this might always be painful to live yeah. and then not yet. Um, it's just like, oh. And I think that out. there's also that aspect of like wondering, like I, I've been very much thinking about this recently. As I said, I've, I've been working through a process, a recent process of like broken relationships mm -hmm. and things and, and ways that things that may get restored in some aspect what will never get restored fully in this mm -hmm. in this world and been spending a lot of time in prayer in like lord even in the kingdom what will that look like yeah like what will that look like what will your true um unity of the body look like when you have the body that is torn in so many directions and has hurt mm. each other in so many ways and all of these different kinds of things and and processing that answers that we don't really have mm. and yet trusting in that hope that that god will bring that 
in that way that he radically brings justice and restoration and all of these things in such amazing ways that only God truly can do. And so, yeah, I just love everything you were sharing there. Yeah. Mm. Ooh, okay, so that was wise, like... Greg. Did we talk about how wise you are? I know. I feel like that's wise. been a theme and I feel like you're really, you really proved us right. I <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like this podcast episode could also be called Admirations of Greg Cole. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, mm. yes. oh, let's not. That sounds that sounds so uncomfortable. Yes. No. <laughs> Black people have this saying that's not called give people give people their flowers. And so like that's something I've just been trying to practice in my life more like when you get a chance, because a lot of times people are like, Oh, by the time you give someone their flowers, they're dead. So it's like, no, let's give people their flowers while they're still here to yeah. enjoy them. So We're for me and Grant and Josh, and I know so many people, we want to give you your flowers, Mr. Gregory Coles. You have certainly earned them, plus some more. And just thank you for the work you do and who you are in this community and the voice and how you use your platform. So thank you so much. Yes. Aww, thanks, Henry. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. I received those flowers with joy. Re receive them. Okay, now, Josh, end this call so we can find out why yeah. this person did <laughs> yes. not want to. Uh, yes. 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 <laughs> Okay, bye, okay, bye everybody. We got some talking bye to do. Everyone. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, y'all. Okay. I will say, Greg, thank you so much for joining us. This has been so much fun, and I have enjoyed your book, y'all. For everyone listening, um, "No Longer Strangers" by Greg Coles. It is a delight to read. It is both like just so deep and yet so joyful easy to read all of that stuff you need to pick up a copy if you do not already have one there will be a link in the bio um the, of the description of this episode if you uh want to buy it um please do uh greg where can people find you follow you if they you know want to admire you in the same besides way besides twitter and i do besides twitter <laughs> Yes, so so on the social medias, you will technically find me on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. And I do attempt to sometimes post there, though, as we've discussed, not with great regularity, because I try to only do it when I have something to say, and it takes a while. Um, uh, but uh, you, can also, you can also find me... Uh, GregoryColes.com or GregColes.com, all of the things that I do, like write and speak and such, I'll put a link to this podcast once it's up. Uh, those things all end up on my website, um, so you can you can find me there. Uh, and if you want to get in touch with me, you can also do that through my website. The contact link literally just sends me an email. I'm not nearly fancy enough to have somebody else answering my emails for me. So yeah, uh, send me an email. Um, it'll yep. be great. Or you should come to the Revoice Conference because I yes. will yes. totally be there. I was yes. just about to ask yes. you if you're going to be you're there. You're speaking and I was like, this Wait. year, aren't you? No? Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. okay. Because I remember I the, like, the speaker list was announced and I just was so excited. So yeah. excited for that. You know, and y'all, I, I do have to make this statement because I we haven't made this this announcement yet in some way. For everyone going to Revoice, in a very unofficial way, unofficial, the co-hosts will be getting together somewhere. We don't know oh, where. Yes. Somewhere. And we will be Recording setting up some microphones episode. and record this season finale for Life on Side B. Yes. We, as we make more details, we will share them with you. 
Um, but come and join. Set, we'll do it sometime when stuff isn't happening with Revoice. I'll drink a boozy and... slushy and immediately go into conversation with everybody. It's oh, sorry, be... you know I got the wine. I'll bring the wine. Y'all are coming to my home state. I got the cocktails. <laughs> okay, perfect, perfect, perfect. Love it. <laughs> we'll have cocktails. We'll have all of these things. <laughs> so come and join us for that. Um, and since we already mentioned Twitter, follow Grant on Twitter, follow Henry on Twitter, follow the podcast on Twitter. Um, give us a review on Apple uh, Podcasts if you enjoy this. Um, and if you write out a re- review, we'll read it. We'll talk about it. Yeah. We'd love to read it. Um, and if you want more content, join our Patreon page. Join our discussion, Discord channel. Um, do our um, whatever. Join us there. We love you all, and we'll talk to you later. (laughs) Bye, everyone. (laughs) 